Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Get Clean Podcast. I'm your host, Khalil Sharad, and this is episode 39. In this episode, I will be interviewing Asia Evans. Asia is a two-time Olympian in the bobsled. She's won bronze and she's won silver. She did track and field in uh, high school and in college. And, uh, you know, she's an all-around athlete. Um, she's looking forward in 2022 to get the gold. And she's also a philanthropist, has her own foundation for helping uh, young females that are athletes, you know, get scholarships and, and all that. So I hope you enjoy and let's get clean. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I can hear you. I'm good. Um, so I have my AirPod in right now. Is that solid with the? Yeah, audio? yeah, the sound sounds good. Yeah. Okay, perfect. <laughs> uh, what you doing today? Um, I got a lot of stuff I'm working on. I have to do a couple tidying around the house. I'm going to Denver for a shoot tomorrow, so I just got to get ready for that. Um, and I have a TED talk coming up in May. Mm. Um, so those are kind of on my priority list right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but other than that, it's kind of an off day for me from training, so I might do just a little, like, cardio, you know, something to mm. just keep it going, but I don't have a lift today. You, um, is it a photo shoot, the one in Denver? Yeah, it's a photo and video. Uh, I'm shooting content for a sponsor as well as um, I'm producing, a, like, a 21-day challenge ebook, uh, and mm-hmm. so I'm shooting the content for that. Okay. Well, just start by telling everybody who you are and what you do. Okay, you ready to jump into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, what's up? Uh, Thank you for having me. My name is Asia Evans. I'm a two-time Olympian and Olympic bronze medalist bobsledder for Team USA. I hail from the south side of Chicago, um, and I grew up as a track and field athlete, which is how I kind of fell into the sport of bobsled. Uh, I won my first Olympic. I, I... um, I made my first Olympic team um, in February of 2014 and started two years before then. And um, now I've been to two Olympic games and uh, I've won a bronze medal since then. And I'm currently preparing like for my potentially my third Olympic games. Oh, wow. Um, when you did track and field when you were younger, what were, what events were you doing? Oh, yeah. So growing up, so I'm from the south side of Chicago. I come from a a really athletic family. So like, but prior to high school, my my mom just let us be kids. Like um, my mother was a track and field athlete. My father was a swimmer. My brother um, went on to be a eight year NFL vet. And then I have uncle and cousin that were both major league baseball players. So sports were always a part of my life. Um, But as far as like when I began my journey with sports it was going into my freshman year of high school and I went to Morgan Park High School and um if you're familiar with Chicago Public School it's a Chicago Public School on the south side of Chicago um and they had a reputation of being like state champs state runners up and so like I kind of went went into a program that was held to a high standard so um the better I performed the more I wanted to just be a part of it and keep going and so growing up my events and in high school, we we were down to make points. Like if you didn't have, you familiar with track and field? If you didn't have four events in high school, you could only have like four events 
Um, if I didn't have four events, then I knew my coach was saving me for like that four by 400 meter relay at the end. But mm -hmm. typically going into in high school, I specialize in the sprints, short sprints, 100, 200, um, 55, 60 meter dash indoor. I was a relay specialist. And then I grew, I started growing into this role as a shot putter and a thrower. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, that role came, <laughs> that, it's crazy, Khalil. That role came apart about um, because I had a, I was triple jumping going mm -hmm. into my junior year, first meet of the season. Um, and I had a, an injury and injured my meniscus, my MCL and mm -hmm. my meniscus. And it took me out for majority of the season. And the only thing I could do was a standing throw, like with the shot put. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then uh, one one meet, I was bundled up. I was determined to like be making my points and to just having that impact. And one meet, it was super cold outside. I still had all my warm ups, and we we was just out there competing. And that was the first time I did a stand and throw and threw over forty feet. And we were like, oh snap! Like okay, let's try and wait till <laughs> I have a leg that works properly. Um, <laughs> and so shot put started to become my baby because it just allowed me to apply the same power and explosiveness and speed that I had in, in sprinting um, and shot put, which was like a, a unique spin on it. Hmm. And then what did, where did you go to college? Uh, I attended the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. But um, to be honest, I went to uh, University of Nevada in Las Vegas my freshman year. So I thought I wanted to go really far away, um, mm -hmm. get my scholarship. And, you know, I was in an amazing program under – the direction of head coach uh, Barbara Farrell Edmondson, who's a, an Olympic medalist and record holder. And my um, same goes for my shot put coach. Uh, he was very decorated and uh, uh, throws like record holder in the Olympics as well. And so I knew that I wanted to be under those that have been to the places I want to go. But um, ultimately, UNLV, that program wasn't the best for me. And so I transferred to the University of Illinois um, and finished out my collegiate career. And then what um, what adventure are you doing when you're in college? Uh, sprints and shot put, but mainly shot put and then sprints with like the ice, like the addition. But <laughs> when I got to listen, so I transferred my after my freshman year, I transferred my sophomore year and my sophomore year of college at um the University of Illinois, I went from throwing a furthest of like 40, 40, let's say like 47, 48 feet um, at UNLV. I made it to like regionals in at for national for like NCAA regionals in D1. And I thought that was the best thing ever. And then my, my just, just everything changed for me in that transition to University of Illinois. And that one year I made, um, I threw, I became Big Ten record holder. I threw um, from 47, almost 48 feet to uh, 55, 56. Um, I was a Big Ten champ. Um, I qualified for the USA 2008 Olympic trials and competed with some of the most amazing athletes in the world um, for the Olympic to make the Olympic team. Of course, my little young self didn't make it at the time, but I made a... Mm. a another international team which was the first team that I made it was called NACAC uh, North American Caribbean and Central American Championships um, and it's an under 23 team so everybody competing in the championships were under 23 years old um, and I competed in shot put and I won bronze um, and so that was kind of 
my taste of that elite level. And when I got the taste of it, I didn't want to go back. So that's when I really started going hard as far as like my training and just what I wanted for myself as far as performance. Yeah, what was the difference in training when you put more of an emphasis in shot Because I mean, just from all the strength coaches, I know that focus on that. You gotta be a lot stronger and you can be a little bit bigger because you ain't running yeah. anymore. So like, yeah. what was some changes? Was Especially my, I would said, give them, oh, uh-huh. Yeah, I gave them a hard time about that. Like, I was like, I'm not here to be a big shot put thrower and <laughs> lift and throw and lift and throw. I was like, I'm explosive. You want to look good. That's I'm what you really said. <laughs> yes. And also, I was beating most of the sprinters. So it's like, why well, would I just, when I can get these points, I can get those points as well. And so right. I wasn't groomed. I didn't have the the flexibility to be groomed into a multi-event athlete where you specialize in seven events and usually mm-hmm. like have hurdle experience. I had jumping experience, but I didn't have hurdle experience. And so ultimately I <clears throat> did these events sing like individually when if you would have put them together, um, I would have been great as a multi-event athlete. But um, I was very adamant about wanting to represent and, and to compete at the way that I wanted to. And so my training, yes, essentially, um, I probably lifted more and did more because I was a, a shot put thrower. But ultimately, I still did the same sprint programs, the same training, same conditioning programs as all my sprinter counterparts. I was on the relay. I was going straight from the shot put ring to putting on spikes and hopping in the blocks. And I think that that kept me um, in a certain zone and, and moving at a level that I was used to moving at. I didn't feel as fulfilled and complete if I was just doing shot put. And I felt like, um, you know, growing up, it was all these girls that were over six feet tall, 200 some pounds, like mm-hmm. killing it. And it used to intimidate me. And then I turned around and started finding my own power within how I was built. And I was beating all those girls that used to beat me. Like, literally, when I transferred to University of Illinois, I was competing against all the girls that used to beat me in high school, and I was crushing it. And so mm-hmm. it just showed me that, like, I don't have – I can, um, sh- I can like, thrive and, and be the woman I want to be and the athlete I want to be, and I didn't have to, like, switch it up. But ultimately, when it came to me pursuing a professional career right out of college, a lot of the tr- coaches that wanted to work with me um, wanted me to solely focus on shot put and put on like 10, 15 pounds and all this other stuff. Do they have shot put? No, they just, no, it's not oh, yeah, so, yeah, just, you, you know what I'm saying? The more weight beat them I girls. Had, <laughs> like, you know, I was like a sprinter for real, for real. I'd be like, you need to put on 50. Right, I was getting smaller than my bobsled body, so it's like, nah, you have to grow up and mature up and put on this weight and do what you need to do. <laughs> so how was the transition um, to bobsled? Was it right out of college, or did you start, did somebody start poaching you about transitioning to while you're still in college? Right. Um, nah, it wasn't like that. Um, my coach told me about the sport. My coach at the time, Mike Earp, um, he was like my, my like throws coach and he was our assistant coach. Um, he told me about the sport of bobsled as I was approaching my senior year. And I didn't really think much of it because like, for real, I knew I wanted to be an Olympian and Olympic medalist as a track and field. I just assumed it was going to be a track and field athlete. And I felt like, um, you know, him and I didn't have the best relationship, like we were cool or whatever, but ultimately, mm. like, um, when he just kind of brushed it off, like, man, I've seen cool runners, I'm not your little cool runner story. Like, <laughs> that's what, you know I, what, that's I'm what I said. I'm like, that's the only time <laughs> I know about, about right? a boss, <laughs> right? But then, 
um, I kind of, after my senior year of college, when I decided not to take that pro route um, in track and field, I was working as a sports performance trainer and ultimately helping all these other athletes and, and clients reach their goals and crush them. But I, it was something missing for me, for real. And so um, that's when I it was almost like that conversation with my coach came up again. And I started doing my research on bobsled, seeing what needed to be accomplished in order to make the team. And um, I went to the owner of the gym I was working at, EFT Sports Performance in Highland Park, Illinois. And I was like, hey, so this is what I want to do. Sounds crazy. I'm going to show you what it looks like, show you um, what the criteria is. And he was like, okay, let's do it. Let's get you ready. And I had like a few months to prepare for the first combine. And if you're familiar with the NFL combine, it's like, you know, we test in broad jump, uh, lot max, shuttle. yeah, stuff like that, all that explosive things. And so um, we prepared for me to test in that. And I went out there and crushed it. And it was, it's kind of been history ever since. But um, it really took me getting to a place to where um, I knew I still wanted something for myself and being open to how it looks versus thinking like, you know what I'm saying? I'm supposed to be an Olympian track and field athlete that through, you know, whatever it was I envisioned right. for myself, um, just letting it flow. And so it worked out. Um, and then uh, where did you go to train? Because it wasn't in Chicago, I'm guessing, right? Uh, no, in Lake Placid, <laughs> New York is um, where the Olympic Training Center um, is. And that's where we do most of our uh, off-season training uh, mm. that we have. Like, that's one of our our home tracks. The other North American track is located. The other American track is in Park City, Utah. And then you have tracks within Canada um, as well that, that um, are in North America. But, yeah, so mainly for Team USA, we trained and did a lot of our off-season prep and bobsled-related stuff in Lake Placid, New York, at the Olympic Training Center there. Now, how long is the race? Um, our race on ice is less than 60 seconds. It's about a mile-long track, but each race and each track varies because the tracks are built differently, the weather conditions play a part, um, mm. and the conditions of the track as they go through the the runs. Like, say if someone's cra someone crashes, it can um you know create problems in, in the track and so they have to patch them up really quick so we can continue on but ultimately like it's a lot of variables which is why like there are start records and track records for each uh track respectively instead of like an mm -hmm. overall um fastest time in the world or something like that each track is going to be different mm -hmm. now what is like I mean, how many how many people are in the group when you guys are in the sled? So women have two men. Mm. Um, so and what they introduced <clears throat> now for the 2022 Winter Olympic Games is monobob. So with two men, there's two women, uh, the pilot and the brakeman. The pilot also goes by driver. Brakeman also goes by pusher, push athlete or whatever. Um, the pilot from the start of the race, the pilot pushes from the side of the sled and the start of the race is ultimately kind of like the brakesman, brakeman show. Like you got to get the sled going from zero to 100 um, as fast as you can. And then you hop in after the driver and they steer you down the track. And then once we pass the finish line, um, I come up and technically like pull the brakes. So we 
um, stop on the break and stretch, but that's, it's two people per sled for the women. And then with monobob, that's one person. So the, it's a little more compact sled than the, the, the traditional two man sled. And the, the, ultimately the one person is a pilot and brakeman. So they initiate the movement at the start of the race from the back of the sled, like a brakeman would, and then they hop in and steer down the track as a pilot would. So, like, what are the physical demands when you're in this sport? Uh, they're constant physical demands. Um, you have to, well, one, our time. Like, it's not like I just go home and live in Atlanta and then go bobsled on the weekends. Like, we go on tour. So, once you make the World Cup team and the national team, we're gone for weeks and months at a time. Each week, we're in a different country um and competing and then I'm home for like the holiday breaks and then um once the season is up uh outside of that the physical demands are non-stop um so say if we're in season we have our sliding session which is where you get your training runs per week um you get two training runs per day so usually those take place in the morning so all of the athletes competing will have to go up to the track we load our sleds into the trucks. We transport the sleds to the track, unload them, prepare them for the training sessions. We do two full training runs on the ice, load the sleds back up, take them back to the garage, unload them, do any maintenance things that we ha might have to do. Then we get on to the rest of our day, which includes your strength and conditioning training, your speed programs, recovery. If you're working with a chiro, massage therapist, um, video review like it's kind of like a non-stop job uh and so it's physically and mentally demanding but um we have both a training session in the mornings for sliding purposes and then you also have your respective like programs that you do your strength and conditioning and sprinting on well now how how come you only can do two runs a day um it's, it's just the standard for um the in the in competition training like it's called uh what is it called international training week like leading up to each races we only have two races two runs for equal a full race so like on race day we do two runs the first run is in order based off rank and then the yeah. second run is order based off uh rank after the first run so it goes reverse order so like it starts with the worst um the lowest rank athlete based off their performance from the first run and it finishes with the um, the athlete who's currently ranked at first going into that final run. And so yeah. um, you only get two runs on race day. So you have to you get two runs for training each day and the, the sleds have to make it down. I believe the rules have changed a bit because of the monobob um, addition. Mm -hmm. But before you, you had to make it down successfully. Um, and successfully means you cross the finish line with both athletes in the sled. You had to make it down three times in order to qualify on that track in order to qualify the race. But I believe now you just got to make it down twice. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how it works um, on, on tour. And then, so you only, you only do the twice a day, but what do you guys do for strength condition? Like, since I know you work with Jake. Everyone like, has, yeah, yeah. Everyone has their own trip, uh, strength and conditioning programs at the Olympic uh -huh. Training Center. At all of the Olympic Training Centers and through the USOPC, we have access to uh, strength and conditioning coaches and mm -hmm. 
and resources like that. But, you know, that part is at your discretion, at the athlete's discretion. I personally love the programming that I do with Jacob Ross. I've been training with Jacob since 20, since, I don't I've known Jacob for so long, but I started my programming with him specifically for bobsled going into 2012. And I feel like um, my training really addresses how I perform. It addresses to the needs of the sport and, you know, the, my body as it's changed since 2014. Um, I also, uh, work with um, a speed coach that um, has worked with Jacob as well and so it's important for me for my programming to be specific to who I am as an athlete and not like that one size fits all mentality that you see right. in a lot of like collegiate programs you know when I went yeah. to college I'm like why am I doing the same workout as this girl that does the 800 or right. does the, yeah. you know what I'm saying like I need there's laziness or laziness yeah. and a lack of knowledge both mm. Mm, that part and so um i think a lot of athletes do what works for them um some athletes come from like this crossfit and powerlifted backgrounds a little more recently and so like i was even in the gym looking at some of their training and i'm like hell no it's not it's no way i'm about to be i'm about to be lifting all that heavy weight but again everybody kind of has what works for them and so um you know, ultimately, it's up to you to put yourself in the position to be successful and to be one of the top brakemen on the team and and one that they choose for the Olympic Games because we don't have for the sport of bobsled we don't have an Olympic trials um, like we would for track and field. So like they name the Olympic team after the seventh race of our World Cup season. In the World Cup season, we have eight races and then the Olympic Games. After race seven, um, they named the Olympic team based off the pool of women from the World Cup season. And so they'll name the brakemen as well as the, they'll name the pilots as well as the brakemen. Um, how many people represent each country for bobsled? Uh, each nation. That's a great question. So they have like rules regulating how many sleds can represent each nation. The top three the top two nations in the world, um, performance-wise, can have three sleds each. And then after that, it's a certain number of nations that can have two sleds. And then they have, like, this small nations rule where they have to meet the minimum criteria um, in order to make it to the Olympic Games. But it allows for, you know, the Olympic the, – the whole notion of the Olympics and having the diversity and the representation, it allows for a lot of smaller nations to – get that opportunity um, because they can meet more of the more minimum requirements to compete at the Olympic Games. Um, whereas the athletes competing throughout the entire World Cup season, you know what I'm saying? We're fighting to have those two and three sleds um, shown up at the Olympic Games. At the, um, at the training facilities, do they have like reverse hypers or anything like that? Or is it kind of just like squat racks? Uh, no, they have a very, you know, at the training center, we have a pretty elite, um, we have a pretty elite training, like weight room. And we also have a Mondo track surface out in the back. We have track, um, turf in the gym. Uh, we have squat racks. We have, um, all of the necessary 
uh, implements you need to perform at that elite level. So like, it's never been a workout I couldn't do because they didn't have the equipment. And what I enjoy about my relationship with Jacob is like, I, I can send him photos of like what's available and he we can adjust accordingly. And I think that that's important um, with the nature of my sport. Jacob and I, we have an overall game plan, but we wouldn't be able to plan out like day by day for like these large blocks like a lot of people have because it's so many different variables. Like even with me competing in national team trials um, this past month, uh, our my original second race was supposed to be like in the middle of the following week and they had to move it up to that Saturday because of the weather conditions and how warm it was getting in Lake Placid. And so um, when it comes to me performing at that elite level, I need a trainer and um, coaches that are able to understand that and adjust accordingly. And Jacob is really, really great at being very hands-on and communicative in those moments and we adjust based off how I'm feeling, how my training is looking, you know, what the circumstances are. And I'm able to make those, those, those changes in the, you know, in the moment. And what do you do for recovery slash? What is your favorite forms of recovery? Mm -hmm. Oh, I love recovery. And and the (laughs) the more I do sports, the more I enjoy recovery because it's an investment. Like as hard as we go on the field, you gotta go as hard, if not harder in your recovery and your rest. And, um, the more serious people take that, you see these athletes that perform at the high level, the LeBrons, all of these yeah. athletes, they talk about how much money and time they spend <clears throat> into their bodies um, outside of just the work they put in the gym and on the field or whatever. And so um, I definitely utilize my recovery resources to the max. Um, I work with massage therapists on the regular, chiropractors on the regular. Um, I use recovery devices like Normatec um, recovery boots with the compression to help flush out my legs. I use implements like a Theragun to help with recovery. Um, I have, um, I'm an ambassador for a personal care company called Ion Performance that produces recovery soaks, um, charge rubs and stuff to really help to recover and recharge our bodies for everything that we take on each day and going down a bobsled track it feels like like you're volunteering for a car crash or like you're being stuffed into into like a trash can or thrown off a cliff like (laughs) as a brakeman it's so much that's out of my control and each track varies like Placid is arguably one of the roughest tracks in the world and so for that to be our home track we train there every day so it's like my Everything else must be easy, through. right? Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. true though. It do feel easy. Like I be, I'm excited once I get to traveling and and competing on other tracks. But <laughs> damn, also, that damn like classic shit. <laughs> man, like classic scares a lot of nations from even coming. So it's like <laughs> we already know what type of beast it is. But um, at the same time, I just know what I need to put in on the other end of the spectrum and making sure I'm recovering and preparing my body to take on what it it does on a daily basis. Have you um ever tried the float tanks, the sensory deprivation? I want to ta- I want to try one. If you it's know pretty good in Atlanta, let me know. Shoot me like some options because I've never tried that. But one thing I'm proud of in my growth is just trying different things and learning what yeah. works for me and my body because like yeah. it's really easy for me to get um caught up in my regular day to day schedule right. and that yeah. I don't even you know pursue all these other things. So I've gotten more into yoga, Pilates. Um, 
I love uh, cryotherapy chambers and stuff like that. Like you can't. I don't like that cold. To, forget you can't that. pay me to get in the cold tub anymore. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I can't I can do that. My two, three minutes. In yeah, two, three minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and be out and be done. So, um, <laughs> just the advancements in technology and the other resources there are, like again, like um, it's been really beneficial for me to just continue to explore those and what works for my body. I'm very in tune to my body. I respond well to um, a lot of these things, like even needling and, and some of these recovery, cupping, mm. all these things that seem like fads, like they actually do um, produce the results that I need in order to be successful. Um, and so I just schedule them in, like I schedule my training. How many days a week or how many sessions of, of recovery stuff are you kind of doing? So, like, say it's on tour, we usually have a chiropractor and a massage therapist on tour with us. Usually they specialize in other things. So, like, the chiropractor has a, a you know, certification and background in needling and cupping. Mm -hmm. And the massage therapist is, as well may have um, their other background. So, like, if it's a training week for me leading up to a race, most mm -hmm. likely I'll train on ice and do my sliding session. So, say we race on that Sunday. At the end of the week on Monday, I have one of my training sessions on the ice and then um, another one by Thursday of the week. Then um, so I would schedule my recovery sessions um, around those. So I would typically get my last recovery, like a, a flush, like a recovery flush, like a, um, a massage therapist, go through and work through my muscles mm. a little deeper than I would normally get um, in order to recover it. I would do they do that three days out from my performance. So if I'm right, racing on yeah. a on a Sunday, I would get my recovery flush three days. So I would get it on um, that Thursday or whatever, Friday at the latest, in order to give my body the time to recover. Because a lot of times you feel kind of flat after you yeah. do a massage. So I need that those few days to get back into prime condition. And then as far as like a chiropractor, I work with them. A little more frequently I would do kind of an overall session of course at the end is at the beginning of the week but also it's maintenance stuff on site so like at at the track if I'm feeling a certain way or if I feel like my glutes aren't firing or something's off with my hips or whatever the case may be we have chiropractors available there um to help um in those quick moments and then if further treatment and stuff is needed then um, we schedule it accordingly. But like, as far as a, a weekly routine, I for sure meet with a Cairo once or probably twice a week at least. And then a massage therapist typically once um, for sure within that three day period leading up to my race. But also depending on how I feel after my race, um, I may work with one directly afterwards as well. Um. With Jacob, does he does he have you guys do four days a week uh, and two two heavy days and two lighter days? Um, my training with Jacob, um, we kind of so yeah, like if we were in the off season right now where sliding isn't a factor, my training looks a lot differently because I can do a lot higher volume lifting and build that foundation. Like a lot of my foundational stuff is built during this time leading up until like October when the season kicks off and then it's about maintenance and just um, priming myself to compete at the Olympic stage or any spots, any, you know, whatever along the way. But um, with Jacob, 
if I have sliding um, as well, like my workouts vary. So on days I have sliding or if it's a day that I'm not just sliding, we, we have a, a, a goal to push very fast or, you know, hard training and push day. Mm-hmm. Then um, he, he adjusts accordingly. So like my lift may not be as, as um, intense as it would have been if it was a day that I didn't have a heavy sliding day or if if I know that we're prime if he knows that we're priming for my race like we start to taper off towards the end of the week um yeah. or I might have like a like a light warm-up or shakeouts to do so I'm not just sitting around like the day before a race um and so yeah it does vary quite a bit we do a lot more foundational stuff and like my training is a little more intense as I prepare for it um, and then once I get to that level, it's about maintenance and building up, um, priming myself for the big show. Does he, does he have you ever squat bench or deadlift? Yeah, I squat. My main, um, my main lifts are like squat, deadlift, um, box jump, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff for that posterior chain, as well as like plyometrics to really give me that pop because on the block, um, in this very crouched static position. And I have to go from right. that to exploding off and initiating the movement behind a 365 pound sled. And so mm-hmm. I have to have the power and the strength to move the sled as well as um, the stability to support myself moving a 365 pound object from zero. So, um, and you gotta jump do. in, right? Jump yeah, in. and then I jump in while Forget it's um, going. It, it's, <laughs> yeah, it don't feel as bad in the moment, it doesn't feel as bad as you think. Like, it's not as dramatic. Uh, and I think uh, it's because we're going so fast, and it's like, okay, you know, if you let go or if you don't get in this thing, you're gonna bust your face and like fall <laughs> onto the ice or whatever. So, it's almost like <laughs> it's, it's not like a jump, like I'm just like, wee into the yeah, yeah. sled. It's almost like I run into it and then oh, okay, I, okay. I kind of, yeah, I get down into position. So it doesn't really feel as extreme as you think. Oh, okay. <laughs> was it scary mm-hmm. like the first time you did it? Absolutely. And the first time <laughs> I did it was down Lake Placid's track. And I was like, this cannot be a regular thing. Like, how does this qualify as an Olympic sport? <laughs> is there like cushions inside the sled? So, like, is it, oh, or is it hard no, seats? We riding dirty. It's, 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 <laughs> if you get a seat, like, um, some of us, like, yeah, there is some padding you can add and you can make add little accommodations to make mm. the ride um, a little more suitable. So it's not like, creating problems for you in the future but kind of you just get in and get out like ain't nobody trying to be in that bobsled all day so it's like I don't (laughs) even want to sit there with uh I don't even want it too comfortable to where I'm in that thing like just sitting and chilling (laughs) now now when you're in the track like do they all like turn and stuff like all a little bit different or is it just the weather conditions that'll be different um I'm sorry, what did you say? What was the question again? I mean, like, so, like, is the layout, okay, is the layout of the tracks different, or is it just, like, the weather conditions? No, and the layout of the tracks are all different. All the tracks oh, okay, have okay, okay. different turns and twists and elements that they felt were um, unique when they built it, and mm. and so that's the cool element to it is every track is different. You can compare and contrast a lot of different elements to the track, mm. but ultimately they're all different. And is it and so, constantly going down? Um, as far as like downhill? 
Yeah, is it all downhill the entire time? No, nah, so the the track in Pyeongchang had an element that went uphill and then downhill. So it's like so you can come like, off that thing, but you can come no, out. No, not like that. Uh, it's oh, not, okay, okay. If you look at a video on YouTube, like we're going over 70, 80 miles an hour, and we're our G force is like four or five G. So that's four or five times the force of gravity pushing us down into the sled. So like, oh, it's okay, very okay. hard with how the sleds, the tracks are made for us to go flying off of the track. <laughs> um, yeah, it's mainly like the the crashes and stuff happen from us trying to find the most efficient route down the track. So <clears throat> higher lines or whatever the case may be, like knowing that you have a force coming down as you enter this, a pressure a force coming down as you enter a certain element of the track, you kind of have to think about that and counteract it or try and position yourself to ride it through. And so um, that's where it becomes like a battle of trial and error and figuring out what best what lines are the best but um it's not like you go and thinking you're gonna fly off the track what do you mean by lines what's that mean lines like so ultimately the sled sits on what we call runners they're the blades that the sled sits on right. and okay. so they're made of steel and um they it's where they steer the sled with a, a steering mechanism a d-ring mechanism so if you think about like holding your hands out in front of you you pull the right one and the blades in the front, oh. the runners, they go to the right. You pull the left one, they go to the left. And you go back and forth. You line them up, they go even. So mm. the drivers are pulling left and right constantly down the track. And by mm. lines, it creates, like, the best lines. So, like, yes, you see physical lines in the ice, like uh, scrapes and stuff like that from people's training sessions or whatever the case may be. But lines is, like, what what path are you going to take within this big space of ice to be as efficient as possible through this phase mm. of the track? You know what I'm saying? So it's like invisible lines almost in a sense. It's mm. not like it's drawn out there, but like creating these um, markers and stuff for yourself. They do a lot of mind runs and visualization to feel um, and, and take yourself through what it would feel like to have those successful <laughs> lines on the track. When you go to the Olympics, how many times do you get to practice on whatever the course is before you actually do the race that counts? Yeah, so every Olympic track is on a brand, is a brand new, so like um, the reason we had our national team trials races earlier this past month was because the original Olympic test event that was supposed to happen in Beijing, China was cancelled due to COVID restrictions and travel um, and so now it's going to be uh, rescheduled for October of this year and so that will be the track where that will be the time where all of the athletes around the world will come and train on the future Olympic track for the first time outside of like the host nation no many not many other nations really have access to the future Olympic track so everybody will go there in October and get their mm -hmm. weeks of training as well as do an official Olympic test event race on the future Olympic track to where they'll all compete and race down the track um and that'll be the first time but they have to have an olympic test event under the um in order to have that track in the olympic games and so the olympic test event will take place for this upcoming games in october and that'll be the first time most athletes in the world will get to train on the future olympic track after that you don't touch that track until mm -hmm. it's time to go to the olympic games um 
and do training leading up to it and we get the and then we get a, a international training week leading up to it where we train it and then we race on uh on on go time and during the olympic games it's similar to world championships instead of the one race day you have two race day two race days which is comprised of four total runs down the track how um what's like the environment like when you're at the olympics with all the other competitors i mean it's like it's the same competitors we've been with the entire world cup season for the most part so it's not like that changes you Mm -hmm. compete the same athletes competing on the olympic stage for the most part have competed against each other for the eight races leading up to that um Mm -hmm. that stage so the one real variable is the olympic track and the fact that that's newer to most of the athletes competing um Mm -hmm. The energy is how you make it. I think like some people get so starstruck at the fact that they're at the Olympic Games to where it might distract them. Mm. Others are so focused um, at the Olympic Games to where they may not enjoy it at that level. Um, I think it all varies. My approach, I tend to enjoy it because I need a balance in sport and my life outside of it and so at the olympic games is such a fun experience because yes we compete against the same athletes we've been competing against but everybody else is new so like being in the olympic village and seeing all these other sports and all these other nations and stuff like that interacting with them it creates um a dynamic that is new for a lot of people um at that level has anybody ever talked smack to you uh, I mean, I'm I'm the one that I mean, you got to be better than me in order to talk smack. I think so. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> ain't nobody doing that. like for real. <laughs> you like it's you just do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they probably talk smack behind my back, but are they bringing that to my face? No, because nothing. <laughs> <me>. So, yeah. <laughs> mm. All right. How long do you think you're gonna keep trying to compete? How many more years do you think you can do it for? Yeah, I mean, I retired after 2018. I retired um, in 20. And it was no way you could have convinced me to make a return to the sport of bobsled. And Mm. to just because I felt like um, I had to work through my own thought process to understand who I was. And, you know, a Mm. common term thrown around is that imposter syndrome and everything else. But when you so focused on this one goal, win, lose or draw your life feels different afterwards and it's not always right. as good as you think it's going to be a medal doesn't always change everything um and so i had to just get real with myself and and in order to do so i had to remove the element of knowing i could always compete and in doing so and in retiring i allowed myself the flexibility and the mental space to just be me and do the things that drive me things i'm passionate about and and live in my purpose and ultimately it led me it led back to me using bobsled in my Olympic journey as a vehicle to continue to do so. And it aligns with the things I want to do outside of my life and, and outside of sports. So I don't think that bobsled is a sport that I'll continue to keep doing and doing and doing. Um, mm. I have a goal in mind with the, my return this year. I do want to, I, you know, I, I'm here to win an Olympic gold medal and mm-hmm. I, I want my Olympic gold medal um, as well as using my platform to continue to inspire those behind me and um and sharing my passions and my purpose and so like it feels a lot more fulfilling and I feel a lot more happy as I'm going 
um, through this process because it takes so much out of you. But I feel like my life isn't just um, thrown into this to where if I don't receive the outcome that I want, I don't feel valuable or like, um, like I've accomplished anything. And so I've learned to give myself the space to get that notion out of my head and just, uh, you know, enjoy the journey. Like, ultimately, so much is going to build up to this less than a minute we're going to get on the ice at the mm-hmm. Olympic Games. And so it's like, man, when I look back on the year that I won the medal and everything that I went through, I actually had more of an enjoyable experience in 2018 when I didn't win a medal and I just enjoyed the journey. So it's like mm-hmm. now... I feel like third time's a charm. Um, I've grown so much and matured so much as a woman, as an athlete, as a teammate, as a leader, um, and as an advocate for others. And so, like, I feel like it's all coming together. And ultimately, um, it'll produce the results that are, are meant for me. But but I'm going to enjoy the ride <laughs> till mm-hmm. the wheels fall off. So, yeah. <laughs> what are your plans for after you've done uh, bobsleigh? Yeah. Um, so one of the things I'm very adamant about is continuing to do my philanthropic work, especially with my nonprofit organization, Aspiring Journeys Ahead, uh, Asia Foundation. And I'm really um, putting a lot of my efforts into empowering young female athletes and entrepreneurs to provide them with the tools they need to um, live out their dreams and accomplish their goals um, throughout their journey. Uh, so putting more, having more attention to put into that, as well as um, a lot of my other kind of entrepreneurial endeavors. I enjoy public speaking and using my platform to share my story. I just found so much power in being honest with myself and being mm-hmm. honest with myself around others. And then you realize you're not alone or it's people that have accomplished the things that you're trying to get through or gotten out of the holes that you see, you feel like um there's no there's no way to get out and so um continuing to provide a space in that respect and honestly I'm looking forward to slowing down to where I can be in a position to even be um in a relationship in a marriage and have a family <laughs> yeah, my life yeah. just hasn't been like that and because I've chosen to put sports in my career as a forefront I didn't even understand like the real impact that's had on my dating and relationships and, and, you know, the other areas that I want for myself. So like I'm learning, I'm navigating it all, but ultimately those are the things that I want to be able to put my attention into and um, focus on after 2022 Olympic games. For your um, foundation, helping young female athletes, what exactly does your foundation do? Is it, um, is it like scholarship? Is it, you know, helping out the community? Yeah, absolutely. We're still growing. One of the first events we did, um, was in 2020 before everything shut down. I had a Beauty in the Be- uh, Beast Mode Leadership Symposium for mm. young female athletes and entrepreneurs. It was a one-day symposium during All-Star Weekend in Chicago where I had myself, um, Carrie Champion, um, oh, okay. Karen Civil. Um, I had a lady from, uh, I'm sorry, I forgot her name in the financial institution, as well as um, a sports agent and attorney. And a lot of women just sharing their stories, giving us tools um, for as far as financial planning, um, navigating college, making these uh, high level decisions and putting yourself in the positions to be successful. Um, And so it created that space. uh, Some places I want to take my foundation 
um, in the future is I do want to provide scholarships for young female athletes. Um, I do want to, uh, I'm working on my mentoring program and, and what that'll look like, as well as just events and ways that I can continue to bring value to them and provide them with those tools. Um, so what are some differences in being a female athlete slash, you know, all the way up to your state being an Olympian and even more so being a black female? Like, is there anything that makes it different or make it more challenging that, you know, young girls should know or just people in general? It's always going to be hard and it's always going to be challenging. I feel like mm. once we accept that, like with new levels come new devils or whatever mm. you want to use, um, then you see that you can celebrate that that feeling of knowing that once you overcome this, you're entering a new level. And sometimes the fear of having of, of it being hard and starting and doing stuff um, keeps us away from pursuing it and ultimately winning. And so like, you have to go for those things that scare you. That's that'd be my advice. And all of this mm -hmm. is to go for those goals that scare you. I want to win an Olympic gold medal. I am going to win an Olympic gold medal. And so I'm going full force towards that and saying that can scare and intimidate a lot of people but like for me, I have to feel it and know it in my heart first before anyone else believes it. And so we got to get comfortable with ourselves and what we want and owning it before anyone else is supposed to feel it for you. And so um, I've just gotten more confident in who I am. I've taken a second to forgive myself for a lot of decisions I've made that I felt like have created the courses of my life that you know what I'm saying um may have negatively affected me but also growing from those experiences and realizing that you have the power to shape your life and so if you keep telling the same old story you're gonna keep getting the same old results and I mm -hmm. want things to be different I want new and so I'm making taking the actions and the steps and surrounding myself around people that reflect that um back to training when you're when is, does Jacob ever have you do heavy prowler or heavy uh, sled pull? Because obviously, like you say, you don't have access to being on the ice all the time. Mm -hmm. But that's Absolutely. the only thing I can think yeah. of that simulates that. Mm -hmm. The prowler is my go-to. <laughs> yeah. I have a love-hate relationship with. Yes, yes, yes. Some crazy sled work to where yeah. I'm putting plates on each round. Go yep, work yep. my way all the way up, and then you can back it down. Work yeah. all the way back down. Yes, and I was yes. like, man, that's good pain. Come on. <laughs> great pain. And the thing that I know that we have to, and again, this is what I've learned through my physical experience, and it applies to so much other stuff. Is like you got to go through that pain and that work. We accept it when it comes to training. We accept that it's gonna be hard. We're gonna be hurting. You might cry, you might mess yourself up, but like ultimately it's gonna pay off in the end. And so we gotta keep that same energy when it comes to all these other things that we want for ourselves in our life. And so Jacob keeps me humble in that sense. And he definitely reminds me of um, how much the hard work I put in pays off in the end. Have you, um, did you, cause you know, Jacob uses the conjugate system. Did you ever go to Westside or have you ever checked out Westside? Well, I mean, I know his system because I trained under the same um, gym he started at. And so when right, right, right. I was an intern, Jacob was starting his first year at EFT Sports Performance. And so, like, oh, again, okay. I've grown in the <laughs> same program. And so I trust Jacob. I've seen his work with a lot of other successful athletes that he's had from NBA superstars to NFL legends to high school collegiate athletes to corporate clients and the impact he's had in their lives. So like I've been directly influenced by it and seen it for myself as well as I know and trust um, 
his programming for me. And so, yes, I've seen it in other elements. And with bobsled, you kind of see everybody's different train. And I'd be in the gym like, the hell are y'all doing? <laughs> but hey, it works for them. <laughs> and they might see some of my stuff, like me jump on a 54-inch box and be like, okay, what? But it's like, it's it's a, you know, it's a give and take. And so- You doing a running or a standing? Sitting. Is that from a seated, seated position? Seated. The highest box I've ever jumped on from a seated position was 54 inches. Oh, he probably has to do a lot of that from a static because that's your sport. But yeah, see, that's the thing. Yeah. So like I'm in that seated static position, which mm. is similar to how I'm crouched in yeah. the start of a bobsled <clears throat> race. And then no. I'm, boom, I got to explode up. And so mm -hmm. same thing in bobsled. And mm -hmm. so, again, we're doing the things, the lifts that benefit me because I'm a returning Olympian this year. I don't have to do things like the combine and testing those. So I'm able to train through it. But like if I needed to train, you know, it's one exercise that I do not. I'm not a fan of power cleans. Like I do not oh, have no, no, no. of loving nope. power cleans. No. I used to abuse myself with power cleans as a collegiate athlete. And no. I used to dread having to train for power cleans for the combine for bobsled. But Jacob got me ready, and I would max out at 100 points every time I did it. And so, right. like, um, he's really smart in knowing how to apply his knowledge to a world where it's so much uncertainty. And um, I really appreciate his knowledge, his expertise, as well as his willingness to learn and adapt and to communicate. And so, ultimately, I can have the success. He's not trying to just make me conform to any type of um, – regimen routine or whatever right, yeah. um it's kind of like we build what works for me and what will ultimately put me in the best position to have that success do you think you'll ever um go back to coaching any way when you're when you're retired um i don't know that i will have the time to dedicate myself as a coach right, right. but i would love to do some little stuff like Work with like a little zone? track and field program. Oh, I love mm. camp. So like okay. um, with my foundation, I really hope to, I mean, my goal or uh, my target audience for my foundation is a bit older than the camps I would really put on. But like mm. as far as kids, I'm always willing, I'm always doing a lot of uh, work with uh, uh, local organizations. I've worked with girls in the game, um, a lot of Chicago organizations to do camps, clinics, to go to work out to train these kids and to be a part of their lives in that sense I love it I love working with children um so I'll definitely always have space for that as far as like a commitment like a coaching job I don't know how much that's in the cards for me but um I mean I'd be open to it I, I think that I'm meant to continue to positively impact the youth and, and those after me and so like whatever I'm being called to do in that sense then I then I'm with it so when is the um when is the next Olympics going to be? You said yeah, October, the, right? No, the next Olympics, the Winter Olympics are in February of 2022. Oh, okay. um, and then the Olympic test event will potentially be in October. And the season, oh, that's okay. Yeah, the World Cup season kicks off um, at the, I think, mid-November. Mm. And then when, where are you going to be training? you going to be back at Lake Placid again? So I'll be in Lake Placid pretty much towards the end of, like, September into mm. October and then as the season kicks off but like the World Cup season we have races in Winterberg Germany Aldenburg Germany Seguldas uh which is uh where is that that's Segulda. the new track that's in um it just slipped my mind 
Lapia, I think. Lot oh, Yeah, I think one of the Latvian tracks is on the World Cup tour. St. Moritz, Switzerland, which is my favorite place. Um, and the birthplace of Bobsled. Um, so yeah, we'll be bouncing around a lot of European countries and making that making some things happen. How how is it traveling the world, you know, while you're competing? How how fun is that? Been? It is fun. I rack up great air miles. Um <laughs> <laughs> and ultimately I love traveling like traveling and, and when I was in high school and I realized the better I did the more I got to go to different track meets and experience different places and cultures I wanted to be a part of that like mm. the world can be so small if you allow it to be I'm from the south side of Chicago I don't care what you've seen or heard on television I probably really experienced that firsthand and so <laughs> yeah. to come from that mentality of thinking that in a world, an environment where, you know, you don't see much else outside of it to experience and way more outside of it. It's like, absolutely. That's a passion of mine. And so traveling has a strong place in my heart. It's a driving factor for me. I've learned to enjoy um, traveling a lot more. So I look forward to going to these countries and to these new cities and experiencing their food, um, experiencing their culture and doing things, not just getting there and competing, but like enjoying my time there as well. well who's your uh, biggest competition for the for the next Olympics? Um, I think honestly, our biggest competition is on Team USA. Um, really? As a oh, so you guys are separate, like separated a, between you. So, yeah. yeah, so under USA Umbrella, you have three different sleds, and ultimately everyone races against each other. Mm. So, so um, how's that? We have two of the beef? best. No, I ain't got no beef. I mean, <laughs> again, it, beef got to work both ways, and if I'm not losing no sleep over it, then I'm good. But, like, again, <laughs> yeah. do people have beef with me or issues with me? Probably, like, but that's not my concern. <laughs> it is not my concern. Um our drivers are some of the best in the world. We have Alana Myers-Taylor, who's a reigning Olympic medalist, silver medalist from 2018. We have now have Kaylee Humphreys, who is um, a figurehead and face for Canada. She's an Olympic gold medalist. She won bronze in the 2018 Olympics, and now she's American citizen and racing for Team USA. So, like, the world is our oyster. I'm not even focused on a lot of other nations because... I'm trying to prime myself to be the the one they focus on. So, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, um, I don't really know how to answer that. I think that um, all the most of the competition lies on Team USA, and it's about positioning myself to be with one of the best drivers and to make our our statement known at the Olympic Games. What is um? Do you guys do anything for you know meditation and mental you know? capacity so you can better handle like just the day-to-day demands of being getting ready for the Olympics yeah I think that is important um again that's things people learn and experience um on their own time as a team they don't really push it as much as I feel like they should um Mm -hmm. because it's been a game changer for me but personally I work with mentors on my mentality my mindset um I've learned how much um, even for how I speak to myself, like I used to be, I mean, I am still one of my hardest critics, but it wasn't in a way that was positively benefiting me. Even when I would perform and win, I'd be mad that I didn't win by a lot or I didn't break a record or like stuff like that. 
And so I had to just understand how I was talking to myself and, and how much of it was shaping how I experienced my life. And so um, I think that meditation is important. I think that, you know, it's important to get a routine and set, set your day and start your day um, in a way that serves and benefits you and your mental well-being. Um, even talking about mental, your mental well-being and your mental health is like so hush hush within the sports industry as you know it's starting to grow now um especially within the black community it's even more silenced and so like right. just understanding what that looks like and that it's not a negative thing to care about your mental health and like want to um take time out your day to meditate and to get clear on your visions and stuff like that like that's changed my life so like yeah, it's a it's an intricate part of my um my day to day and I'm still working to make it as as uh, normal as my workout training and everything like that, but it takes work just like working out does, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to get into the to the meditation myself. My girlfriend yeah. told me, you should do it, you should do it. She'd be reading the books on it. I'd be tired. <laughs> yeah. But I know but I need to. Me, what helped me was try, was learning, was listening to some of the apps, and there's apps like, right, you know, right. the Chopra Center um, from Deepak Chopra. You probably heard of him. Or um, Headspace is another one. Some, there's some guided meditation apps that help you to understand what it even means to be in that space. Because right. for me, I I could sit in some silence. I love being quiet and being by myself, but like my right. mind would go crazy and it wouldn't be exactly <laughs> beneficial to what I'm trying to achieve. So it's like, right. let me get it together and figure out what I even be what I even want to be accomplishing. Um, during this time and then act accordingly and so that's when I started to realize that like okay let me slow down that's why I listen to ones that have a little guidance to them because it helps right. me to understand what I should be feeling and how I should be like um spending my time and energy in those moments well that's, that's all I got for you so hey now yeah <laughs> It was a pleasure having you on. Tell tell everybody yeah. where they can find you and information on your foundation and everything else you do. Well, Coach Khalil, thank you so much for having <laughs> me. <laughs> it has been a pleasure chopping it up. Um, and I can be found on all social media at Asia L. Evans, um, as well as my organization is called Aspiring Journeys Ahead, the Asia Foundation. Um, my website, Asia L. Evans, will be up and running shortly, and you can find a lot of further information there but um via my social media like my facebook and stuff like that a lot of further information about the work that i'm doing within the community and where i'm kind of at within my training and everything can be found on there so hit me up all right well, well that's it for this episode folks as always you can find me on instagram that's k-a-l-i-l underscore s-h-e-r-r-o-d you can also find me my youtube page if you missed a seminar that i hosted last year the same name as well um if you're a coach or no coach i would like to be on the podcast send them my way either in my comments or send them to my dms if you have any questions if you're an athlete interested in training send it to my dms um make sure to like you know give the thumbs up write a review subscribe put those turn those post notifications on and lastly as you know stay clean peace